Welcome to my office hours. I'm your host, Lisa Romig. Will you be found without excuse? Join me today in my three-part series entitled Without Excuse. Welcome back, and we are going to be starting the third part of this series, Without Excuse. And as before, just in case you haven't heard the other two, real quick, I want to do a recap. We have the wrath of God or the judgment of God is found on man and all of his unrighteousness, and no one was out with the, without excuse. What we covered in our first section was sins that are created in ignorance, And then, of course, um, we also, in the last section, section two, we talked about the arrogance and also contrasted that with David's heart being a heart after God's and all the things that he was doing as well. We're going to get into now 2 Samuel 11. So, again, we know that David has the heart after God. We know that he um, was the one that God had picked to be king of Israel because he represented God's heart. We know he was generous with Mephibosheth because of his covenant relationship with Jonathan. So we know all these things about David. We see him dance before the ark because he has a heart after God and he understands he is thankful and he is gracious and he is humbled by the fact that God has picked him to serve as chief or prince over all of Israel. Well, we get into these scriptures that we're going to talk about today, and a lot of people come at them from different ways. We're going to talk about David's sin with Bathsheba. Now, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel 11, and there are a couple of things in here. If you've never heard the story, or if you've listened to a lot of people teach on it, you may not know the story here. So I just want to um, lay this out for you so that you have a better understanding of what happened in this context A lot of the times when we study scripture, we don't study scripture in flow of thought, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to lay this out for you in such a way that you saw ignorance and arrogance both lead to sin and God deals with those sins. And so you now have David, which is David's heart, which again is a heart of gratitude and graciousness, is the antidote to um, a lot of things as well as what we get into with education or as they say, the lack of knowledge because they reject God's statutes. So we're in 2 Samuel 11, and I'm just going to start at the beginning, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. Why do kings go out to battle in the spring of the year? Because crops would have been taken care of and they would have had food to feed their troops. And also the weather in that would have been better. But where we are looking at in this time of history is David is now around 56 to 58 years of age. He has been king of Israel for thir- uh, since he was 30. Um, he has been on the throne um, of all of Israel since he was 30. And I just want to point this out to you. He had a life of battle up until 30 because Saul and Saul coming after him. Um, and then, of course, he's had battle since then because with the Philistines and that. So here we are, we're right here, and it says, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. The king did not go with him, and I just want to really point that out to you. David did not go with his people. For whatever reason, he did not go with his people. So what was David doing? If you listen and read about Jewish culture and according to 2 Samuel 11, it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. 
Basically, he was napping. He saw from a roof of a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her own cleanness, and then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now, real quick, there's a lot of to unpack in the story for a lot of things, but I just want to point out that David was not where he was supposed to be. He lusted after a woman that he saw. Um, the first thing he did was he inquired about her. When he was told that she was married, he took her. Now, I want you to understand there were a lot of things he could have done all along the way to stop. He did not stop. He went all the way through um, and a grievous sin was committed um, as he took someone else's wife as um, and laid with her. Um, and he, again, he broke covenant for lack of better word. Um, now, what you're going to see in these latter verses and what I think is so beautiful about scripture is again, in second Samuel 11, we see characters here and we see them compared to each other. David is going to be compared to Uriah, which is Bathsheba's husband. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Uriah was a mighty man. He was one of the men who was a valiant warrior who fought with David. He's still with David all these years and he's out on the battle lines. Remember, David isn't in the battle. And my husband said to me that even men today, when they go off to war and women, they always worry about the loved ones they leave at home and whether they'll be faithful. And there's a whole subculture to that if you're interested in, in following it um, and things that happen, the Dear John letters, the Jodies, those sorts of things that come with that. But I really want to lay into this real quick that why did David send for Uriah the Hittite? And he told uh, his commander to bring Uriah to David. Well, he was trying to cover his sin. Uriah, typically, if things were normal, probably would have spent time with his wife and slept with her. And that's what you see here. When Uriah came to see David, David asked how Joab was doing, who's the commander, and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there he followed him a followed him a present from the king. Now, this is very interesting. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. <laughs> so now we have a problem. Uriah isn't seeing his wife. So David thought, I have sinned. She is pregnant. Now remember, if she was pregnant and found out, there would have been consequences to that, to her, to the, to all of it. And David was covering his sin. So I want you to get this. He didn't confess his sin. He didn't acknowledge his sin. He is covering his sin. Now, remember, this is a man after God's heart. When they told David Uriah did not go to his, down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark, the presence of the God and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord, that would be David, are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So you see 
a valiant warrior being faithful to his commander and to his king. Now, this is just a contrast um, that you see here. And again, we'll go through this real quick. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Again, David's hoping that Uriah will see his wife. That didn't really work. So David invited Uriah and he ate in his presence and drank so that David made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord. (laughs) But Uriah still wouldn't go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. So here is a valiant warrior going back to battle, and in his hand is a letter that will basically say, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back for him that he may be struck down and die. So David sent orders that Uriah delivered by his hand to Joab to be killed. Now, how do you go from being gracious and grateful to sending before God a grievous sin and having a murder committed so to cover it up. And I just want you to understand that this is a man that God loved. This is a man that had the Davidic covenant given to him. And yet, even in his humanness, he sinned. And he right now is in the process of committing great atrocities to the nation of Israel. Because not only will Uriah die, but also the people with him. And Joab, the commander, knows this. So now people do know of his sin, just so you know. And it would not have been unknown to some of the servants in the house. And Joab was besieging the city. He assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there would be valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. And then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Do you not know that they should shoot from the wall? Who killed Abelak the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. And so the messenger went, came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. And the messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now, again, I really just want you to sit on this for a little bit and understand what it is that David has done. David has literally committed murder, even though he used the enemies of God to do it. He still has committed murder and ordered the murder of a, a valiant warrior, an honorable man. Okay. And verse 25, David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you. Okay. There's that word displease. Remember, we saw that word back with Michael. Um, if you have been following along, Michael, of course, being David's first wife, she was displeased when she saw David dancing in the streets. 
uh, before the ark. And so David said, do not let this matter displease you for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. This is mourning. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You could also say this thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. That is another phraseology. And so I want to just really play this off and tell this story a little bit better. And that is Joab, the commander of the army, would have known that David had this man killed. And even though David was a man after God's heart, he had shown true arrogance in doing this. And this displeased the Lord because David knew the law and he broke the law, not once, but several times, one, by committing sin, two, by covering sin, and three, by committing murder to um, sin. And you can see the consequences of sin in this throughout everything. Now, you will see the consequences in a little bit. We'll talk about that um, in just a little bit, the consequences from this. But I want to really focus in on what this means to displease the Lord. I told you that displeasing and the other one means to trample under the feet. But this displease the Lord, it's a little different. It means to quiver almost to the point of when you've seen someone start crying in that their lips quiver and they start to cry. Um, and that that's kind of the imagery here. This really displeased the Lord. There was this quivering. There's even this idea of an earthquake thing happening. Um, the Lord saw what David had done as evil. So again, the Lord is not pleased with this. This is not of God. This is not what he set in place as an order of law or worship towards him. And yet David did it. So in case... Um, you are want to follow the line of thought here. You see David becoming despised or becoming displeased, um, causing displeasure to the Lord, just as his wife had been dis displeasing to him. And I want you to understand that, um, again, one was an, both of these were in arrogance. The Lord is very displeased with what um, David has done. David's sins has consequences. And you are going to see these play out in the next chapter, which would be 2 Samuel 12. Again, laying flow of thought, you see these themes pop up over and over again. You see covenant being tied in here. And then you see David in the midst of this doing exactly what we would never think of David doing. But yet here in the latter ages of his life, he does something so unthinkable um, that it kind of throws us for a loop. And just so you're aware, God knew he was going to do this. He still gave him the Davidic covenant. And it doesn't change the Davidic covenant because God is going to uphold the covenant, not David. But I want you to understand that God knew that this sin was going to happen. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, remember, David has not confessed his sin. I'm in 2 Samuel 12. And Nathan came to him and said to David, there are two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. 
and bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and line his arms and it was like a daughter to him now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him but the rich man took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the traveler who had come to him then David's anger, once he heard this story, was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Now, I want you, I'm going to get more into this in a bit. I just want to take a moment here and have you really understand David's anger was kindled against this man. He saw the sin clearly. He was angry about it. He saw it as for what it was. It was an unrighteousness. And yet he himself was unwilling to bow his knee and confess his sin. Now, these words that are coming up in scripture are haunting to me. They may not bother you, but when I hear them, it just makes me shake my head and say, Oh Lord, may, may I never pass that way. And what we see in verse eight, second Samuel 12, eight, God is speaking through Nathan. And he said, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. So again, I gave you the king's house, and the king's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, after all I've given you, David, I would have added to you so much more. That is what the Lord leads with in his um, consequences of sin. The first thing you need to know is, is even after I gave you all of this, and remember, David had been thankful. If you had asked me, I would have given you so much more. Why have you, and I love this, the Lord is displeased with him, but the Lord asks David, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And I love this. You've despised. That's the exact same word you see with Michael. You despise. That's what you've done in your heart. You've despised my word. And I love this. Because he continues on through Nathan. This is what the Lord says. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you and out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So what is the Lord saying specifically? What is what we say usually the brass tacks? Here it is. What you see with David is he took Bathsheba and he secretly had an affair with her, took someone else's wife and did it secretly or so he thought. The Lord is saying, I'm going to take your wives and do it publicly. Now on top of that, I love this. You can read these things into it. That which was sacred, you profaned secretly. A covenant relationship between a husband and wife is considered sacred. You profaned it. 
And I love this because the Lord is going to allow that to be profaned openly on David's house. So anything that David did in secret is now going to be done publicly to him and to his house. Now, I want to point this out because this comes to the heart of David. David says, without missing a beat, I have sinned against the Lord. Yes, but David should have never allowed the sin to happen. And again, we're going to talk about this ignorance and arrogance. David did not sin out of ignorance. He sinned out of arrogance. Now, we could try to surmise and say things like this. Well, he was an older man. He didn't want to go to war. You know, he was allowed to take um, beautiful things for his wife. We can make all those things as valid points or try to reason with it. And what I want to come back to what we started with with is you are without excuse before the Lord in unrighteousness. Whether in ignorance or arrogance, you are without excuse. For the Lord your God will judge all mankind and you are without excuse. And this is where you see David, who is beloved by God, who has a heart after God, who God has given a Davidic covenant, who the Messiah will come through. And I just want you to understand how blessed this man is. His arrogance is still being judged before the Lord, and his unrighteousness is still being judged. It has consequences. And so I want you to kind of wrap your head around who your God is. Whether we're in ignorance or in arrogance, we stand without excuse before God. The Lord tells us that we are to be thankful and we are to honor him. A heart of gratitude and to honor him and be thankful. Also, God is holy. He is sovereign. He sees all and he knows all and he definitely knows your heart. I want to close this series with one of my favorite Psalms, and it's found in Psalm 73, verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all his works. Today, as you go about your business and you're living your life, remember that it is an honor and privilege to be before God and live a life holy for him. And may we all continue to be thankful and grateful for what he has given us in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, your worth and value were given to you at the cross. You were worth dying for, and you're definitely worth fighting for. Join with me next time as we continue to dig deeper into the life we have with King Jesus.